0: Our question for today is, does God play dice with our universe? So Albert Einstein famously used those ter- that term. Um, he refused to believe in the randomness of a theory that was just gaining popularity in the 1920s called quantum physics, um, which is at least in my lay person's head um, a theory that includes the fact that there's on the quantum level, in other words, on the very small atomic level below the atoms, there's some level of randomness within physics. And so Albert Einstein refused to believe that because as the term he used, he didn't believe that God played dice. Today, we know um, with pretty much certainty that quantum physics is true. Um, all of our technology is built on it. Um, but the question still remains, does God play dice? So Einstein was using the term in the context of randomness. Is there randomness within creation? We believe in the concept a concept called providence, that God has control of creation. But that's not the topic that I want to address today. Uh, we do have a class plan for this subject of um, providence and the Jewish belief in providence. But I want to propose that God indeed does play dice, but in a different sense. Not as our world being random, but in the sense of all possibilities being equal. When you throw the die, it could land on any number. There's no way it's all equal. There's no way of knowing which one it's going to land on. If one number was more likely than the other, it wouldn't be a fair game. So... Our goal today is going to explain the deeper Hasidic meaning of the Purim festival, and we're going to connect that to God playing dice. The Megillah tells us that Purim, that holiday of Purim got its name because Purim means lottery in Persian. And it symbolizes the lottery that Haman made when he was trying to figure out which day to destroy the Jewish people. He made a lottery where he chose a month It landed on the 12th month, the month of Adar. And he chose, he made a lottery to choose the day of the month. So that's how Purim got its name Purim. Now that's a very strange name for a holiday. After all, the holiday celebrates how our people were saved. Why would we name it after a technique Haman used to try to destroy us? Furthermore, the lottery is really a very, very small detail within the Purim story. It just so happened that Haman wanted to choose a day. He maybe believed in the power of luck uh, or some other power, and he decided the right day is going to come up in a lottery instead of him just choosing it some other way. And so he used the lottery. But it's really a very small detail within the Purim story. Why would we name the Purim holiday after such a minor detail, call it Purim, Persian for lottery. Now before I get to answer this question, I will talk about this in detail. I just want to point out another very interesting question or issue that people often have when thinking about the Purim story. We mentioned earlier that there's four mitzvahs for Purim. We're supposed to hear the Megillah being read twice, once in the evening, once the next morning. We're supposed to give gifts of food to each other, Mishloch Manot, Gifts to the poor or money to the poor, and we're supposed to make a party. A little different from other holidays. We make a feast for other holidays. Every Shabbat, we make a dinner. Every holiday, of course, we make a big dinner besides Yom Kippur, where we do the dinner before and after. But every holiday, we Jews have a dinner. But Purim, we don't make a dinner, we make a mishneh, we make a party. Not the same. We make a party. In fact, the Talmud tells us we're supposed to drink at the party. To the point, says the Talmud, you should drink so much that you do not know the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Mordecai. Now, that's very strange. Why would God want us to drink and get drunk? Now, to be clear, we're not supposed to get absolutely drunk. Jewish law clearly forbids a person from getting drunk to the point that they cannot control their actions—that's absolutely forbidden because you're supposed to always be in control of yourself. But at least to some extent, the person's supposed to drink on Purim. If one's uncomfortable <laughs> doing so, or one is, um, one would get sick doing so. One does not have to, but if one can, you should drink on Purim. It's what the Talmud says. But what's the point of celebrating Purim in such a way? And why would we celebrate to the point we forget about the roles of the players and the the main players in the Purim story, Haman and Mordechai, forget that Haman Haman is cursed and Mordechai is blessed? So to answer these questions, to answer how Purim got its name lottery, although it seems to be a very minor detail in the Purim story and more to do with Haman's attempt to destroy us than our salvation, which we're celebrating. What's interesting, and as well to understand, the party. Ago. It's interesting that it was not just Haman who liked using lots or lottery to make choices. When Israel first entered the promised land, God gave every single, member of the, every single male member of the Jewish people um, of Israel at the time, got a plot of land. How did they choose who got which plot? Torah says via lottery. They're going to use a lottery. Not only that, every year on Yom Kippur, the high priest had a very, very special service that they had to do in the temple. That's described in very, very great detail in the Torah. As part of the service, they would enter the Holy of Holies. The only time that anyone would enter the Holy of Holies, the room where the Ark of the Covenant stood. But another interesting part of the service was when they would bring two goats, two identical goats, and the high priest would put his hands into a box and draw a lottery. There would be, inside the box would be two plates. One would say for God, one would say for Azazel. He would put his hands in, pull out one, put it on one goat, pull out the other, put it on the other goat. And the one that was for God would be brought as a, as a sacrifice in the temple. And the one that was for Azazel would be sent out to the wilderness. So there on Yom Kippur, the holiest time of the year, the holiest moments that in the holy temple, there would also be a lottery. Why? Why did we have lotteries on Yom Kippur? What's so special about this lottery? So there appears to be something meaningful in Judaism when it comes to lottery. Now what's unique to a lottery or throwing a die is not just the randomness, but the fact that all possibilities are equal in a fair lottery when you play the lotto you can choose any number and at least in theory we hope it's in reality every number has an equal chance of winning each number is totally equal you throw the dice every number has an equal chance of landing on that number it's all equal Every possibility is equal. So it's not just random. Everything is equal. So the lotteries, or dice for that matter, represent a reality or a situation where all possibilities are equal. All of those billions of possible numbers in the lottery, every single one is equal. Equal chance that any of them are chosen. All those lucky numbers don't mean anything. Now, when two things are equal, there could be two possible reasons why two things are equal. It could be that they're identical. There's really no difference between one and another. All six sides of the dice are all the same. It can, you throw it, it can land equally on all of them. They weigh the same, they're shaped the same, Can land equally, they're all the same. You spin the wheel of the lottery, each one, can land on any number. They're all the same, equal chance. So one way with things can be equal is by them being the same. There being no difference between them. And then you don't really care which one you choose. Everything's equal. So you, whichever one it lands on, it's all the same. But then there is another way that things could be equal. Not because they're the same, but because you don't care. To me, it's all equal. I don't really care what I eat for dinner tonight. So whatever it is, I don't care. I don't care what I wear tomorrow. I don't know anyone like that. But if you don't care, then it's also all equal. Take, for example, a parent and child who are going to play a game together. Parent asks the child, what do you want to play? For the child, the games, each one's significant. They have a particular game that they want to play right now. Each one's meaningful in its own way. For the parent, though, they don't really care which game they play. They're not playing a game because they want to have fun. They're playing a game because they want to play with their child. Anything their child wants, they're happy to play. So for the child, the only way that games would be equal is, is if they're the same, if there's no difference between them. Maybe the same enjoyment, the same pleasure, same value. For the parent, all the games are the same regardless because they just want to spend time with their child. They don't care how they spend time, which game they play. So in equality, there could be two types of equality. Equal because they're one and the same. Or equal because, equal because they're one and the same. Or equal because it doesn't really matter. The one choosing doesn't care. In Judaism, when we speak of the spiritual power of the lottery or of dice, what we're referring to is the second scenario. Everything is considered equal because the one choosing doesn't care. The question is often asked, does God care if we follow his commandments? Does it affect him in any way? Does it matter to him? A drop of milk falls into a pot of meat. Does it matter? Does it matter that much? Person flips the switch on Shabbat. Does it matter? Does it matter that much? A person wrote something nasty about somebody else. Does it really matter? Job asked this question in the book of Eov. He says, If you sin, how can you impact him? If you have a lot of transgressions, what can you do to him? If you are righteous, what can you give him? What can he take from your hand? Does it really matter? In the bigger scheme of things, not really. The Talmud puts it, does God care if the slaughterer slaughters the animal from the front of the neck or the back of the neck? Does it really matter to God? Do the tiny details and laws in Judaism matter to an infinite God? The truth is, on a deeper level, God is truly. In, we believe God is truly infinite. Our planet is just a speck of dust. When you think just about our universe— there are 8 billion people on this planet, but our planet is just a small planet that revolves around a tiny star in the corner of a galaxy with billions of stars. And that itself, that galaxy, is the corner of a universe with billions of stars. Just looking at the size of our universe, in the bigger scheme of things, whatever we do here on Earth, does it really matter? But then when we think about it, we remember God is infinite. Our universe, as large as it may be, is still finite. God is truly infinite. For God, does it really matter what we do? Nothing matters. We're infinitesimally small. It makes no difference. It doesn't matter to God if a small drop of milk falls into a meat pot. It doesn't really matter to God whether you have a nick on your uh, uh, whether you slaughter the animal properly or not, doesn't really matter to God if you flip the switch on Shabbat doesn't really matter. He's infinite. We're a tiny speck, not even infinitesimally small speck. So none of it really matters. In fact, when you think of it in that perspective, even what we consider to be big things, saving someone's life or murder. is it really genocide? Does it really matter? It's in a tiny, infinitesimally small speck. For the infinite creator, it all doesn't really make a difference. So our sages explain that in truth, we believe God has two different perspectives. On the one hand, it is true. God is infinite. We are infinitesimally small, so nothing that happens on earth makes any difference to him whatsoever. No matter how big it may seem in our little world, to God, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference. We're so infinitesimally small, it really doesn't impact him in any way. On the one hand. And yet on the other hand, God lowered himself, so to speak, and decided to take personal interest in our infinitesimally small planet. And take interest in each human being as tiny of a speck and infinitesimally small as we may be. And take interest in every minor thing that happens. So God, yes, on the one hand, truly nothing really matters to God. And yet on the other hand, God lowered himself and decided on his own to take interest in something that is so infinitesimally small to him. Does it really matter to him? He decided to take interest anyway. In and so, and the truth is, when we see things from that perspective, the only reason anything matters to God is because He decided it matters, not because it matters on its own but because it's big enough to matter or important enough to matter to God because God's infinite the only reason anything that happens on this earth matters is because God decided that it matters he decided that murder matters he decided that what you cook in your kitchen matters he decided that what you do on Shabbat matters he decided certain things matter and to him they all matter equally What to us may seem like a very big deal, to him is the same important as something that to us seems very small. Because to him everything is truly small. And yet he chose for it to make a difference to him. So that is why on Yom Kippur, in the Holy Temple, the high priest would make a lottery. Why didn't he make a lottery? The lottery is symbolic of equality. How everything is the same before God. That nothing truly does matter to God. And so what we're symbolizing with the lottery is, God, we know you commanded us to do certain things, not to do other things. And we know we broke your commandments. We didn't act as we should at Yom Kippur. We're asking for forgiveness. But God, to you it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really make a difference to you. You chose for it to make a difference to you, but it doesn't really make a difference to you. It's like a lottery. Everything's the same. And so therefore, God, overlook our sins. Ignore them. That doesn't really matter to you anyway. So just you chose for it to matter, but choose for these sins not to matter to you. Overlook them. Ignore them. We regret them anyway. And that's how we ask God for forgiveness on Yom Kippur. Because since on the one hand, while everything truly doesn't matter to God, it only matters because he chose for it to matter, we can ask for him to choose for it not to matter. So when we did something wrong that we regret, and we don't want God to punish us for it, we don't want to suffer for it, we ask God for forgiveness, we say, God, please choose for this thing not to matter. We truly regret it. And that's symbolized in the lottery where everything is equal, all possibilities are equal. So understanding this, understanding the power of the lottery, we now can turn back to our Purim story. Hasidic teachings tell us that when Haman wanted to destroy the Jewish people, there was a reason why he decided to choose the day by drawing a lottery. He was unaware of this. Unknown to him, Haman, like every other individual, has a guardian angel. Haman was a wicked man Haman's guardian angel was a wicked angel too. And Haman's wicked angel was on a mission like Haman himself, to destroy our people. Haman's angel knew that God loves our people. God is not going to destroy our people. And so Haman's angel had a plan. His plan was as follows. He got Haman, unknowingly, subconsciously, to choose the day to destroy our people with a lottery. It was symbolic, like the lottery on Yom Kippur. It was symbolic for God to tell God, you know, God, it doesn't really matter. You chose that the Jewish people should matter to you. You chose that they should be your chosen nation. But it doesn't really matter. You can just as easily destroy them. It's not going to make any difference to you. And so by drawing the lottery, Haman's angel intended to invoke the equality before God, everything is equal, everything is the same. To invoke God's perspective, a perspective of God where he does play dice, not in the sense of randomness, but in the sense of all things being equal, nothing really matters to God. And from such a perspective, God will leave his people and allow them to be destroyed. Just as every other people rise and fall, so the Jewish people too will rise and fall and disappear like any other people. After all, in the bigger scheme of things for God, it doesn't really matter. Yet, after Mordechai discovers the plot, Haman's plot to destroy our people, he gathers the people in prayer and Esther intercedes with the king, and through God's providence, the people are saved from destruction and Haman is killed. How did that happen? So Hasidic teachings teach us that this is because Mordechai invoked God on an even more powerful level. Earlier we explained that God has two perspectives. On the one hand, he takes personal interest in our world and chose to care about the insignificant details. But on the other hand, God truly stands above creation and everything is truly insignificant for him and doesn't really matter. Everything is truly insignificant and equal before him. And therefore, as Haman's angel plotted, if we can only get God to stop caring, then... Evil can succeed. Our people can be destroyed. Bad doesn't matter anymore. On Yom Kippur, that helps us because we get forgiven for our bad deeds. But for Haman, it helps him too. He can overcome our people. So there's these two perspectives. On the one hand, god we know God takes personal interest and cares about everything that happens in this world because he chose to do so. But on the other hand, truly God, everything is insignificant. It doesn't really matter before God. Everything is truly equal before God. Like the numbers in the lottery. Or like the the sides on the dice. But then there is another detail to this as well. Even as God stands above creation. Even as God stands alone as absolute. With everything in our world being absolutely insignificant to him. We... God's people remain his children. The Torah says that we, God's chosen people, are God's children. We have an intrinsic relationship with God. Even though all of creation is infinitesimally small and therefore insignificant to him, his chosen people are intrinsically or have a deep connection to him. That's because we believe we are not finite like everything else on earth. We, our souls, are part of the infinite. We are a part of the infinite that came down to earth as God's agents to make an impact here on earth. Our souls deep down in their core are a part of the infinite, connected to the infinite. And that is why God promised us that no matter what we do and no matter what happens, God will never forsake our people and never destroy us because we have this infinite connection to God that is much, much deeper than creation. We are a part of God here on earth. We have this deep connection to God. And so while the spiritual goal of Haman's angel was to use the lottery, the to invoke God, to a point where everything is equal and nothing matters. And that would then allow God to destroy us. He really succeeded in revealing our unique connection with the Creator. While everything else on earth doesn't truly matter to God. Even good and evil doesn't truly matter to God. However, we truly matter to God because we at our core, are infinite as well. We are a part of the creator. We are intrinsically part of the creator, like a child that is a cell of their parent. A child is literally a cell of their parents that grew into an independent person. We are a part of God placed here on earth. And that explains, sinus is why the holiday is called Purim Lottery. In a sense, God does play dice with our world. Not in the sense of randomness, but in the sense that at a certain, in a certain perspective, everything is truly equal before him. Everything is insignificant, nothing matters. Yet though everything on earth is equal before God, everything is truly insignificant and nothing matters, though he chose for it to matter. We, God's people, have an infinite relationship with God. Even when all is equal, Even when there's a lottery, even when we throw the when God throws the dice and says I don't care what happens, it's all the same. Even then, we have an infinite relationship with the Creator, and that's what we celebrate on Purim. That though nothing truly matters to the Creator, we still do because we have that infinite relationship, and that is why our sages say to drink on Purim, not to get drunk. But to remind ourselves, when a person drinks, you stop caring about things. That's why people say stupid things when they drink as well. That's why people do foolish things they regret later. You stop caring. It reminds ourselves that in the bigger scheme of things, even when God stops caring, he still cares about us. Even though nothing matters, our people still do. Since we are infinite at our core, we have an infinite relationship with God. So to conclude, our lesson our, from the Hasidic teachings of the Purim story is that, yes, in a sense, God does play dice with our world. What God's commandments and what God expects of us and of all of humanity does matter to God because he chose for it to matter. We do believe that. And yet, in a certain sense, it doesn't truly matter. It only matters for he, because he chose so, and he can easily choose for it not to matter. Because... It doesn't truly matter to him. And yet we, God's people, we at our core are part of God. And so we at our core truly matter before God. And so this gives us a very practical lesson in our lives that we learn from the Purim story that we learn from the power of Purim. There are so many things that we care about in life. Our cars, our house, our career, retirement, Politics, sports, how many times do I call people and say how are, I speak to people all the time, people tell me, I ask them how are you, I say terrible, why are you terrible, what's going on, what's so bad, maybe because they are cooped up in their home for a year, no, because of what's going on in Washington DC, two and a half thousand miles away, go figure, Go figure, people they've never met before. They probably never will meet. That's that's, That's why their life is bad. All these things truly don't matter. Our car, our house, our career, our politics, our sports. These things, in the bigger scheme of things, none of these things matter. 50 places to see before you die, you don't see all 50, you'll be just fine. None of these things matter in the bigger scheme of things. We're infinitesimally small. What truly matters is our soul and our relationship with God. The things that God chose matter. So when people tell me I can't do a mitzvah because I'm busy doing something else, can't come to show because i got to go play golf. (laughs) Purim reminds us what really matters. We're God's agents here on earth. To God, nothing else truly matters. What he really cares about is us being here and following what he instructed us to do. So it helps us, Purim, the lottery, helps us change perspective, reminds us that in a sense, our world is just like a dice. All is equal, could land on any side. It doesn't really matter which car you get. Makes absolutely no difference in the bigger scheme of things. You're just a tiny infinitesimal speck in the corner of God's universe, including that car and that house and everything else that we seem so important. And the friends that maybe snubbed us or insulted us, all those things, the bigger scheme of things don't really matter. What truly matters is following God's commandments and doing what God wants. Of us. So that's the powerful lesson of the Purim story. Does God play dice with his world? Yes, we believe that he does in a sense, um, in that everything to him is infinitesimally small and therefore equal, like the dice throws it as a dice. And yet we believe that there are things that matter. We matter to God. And God's commandments is what truly matters to us. So um, I'll take questions in just a moment. I thank you for.